To my way of thinking, there is every bit as much evidence for the existence of UFOs as there is for the existence of God, probably far more. At least in the case of UFOs, there have been countless taped and filmed and, by the way, unexplained sightings from all over the world, along with documented radar evidence seen by experienced military and civilian radar operators. George Carlin, When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chops? Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of a host of the most, Shanna. So we're just dumping right into the UFOs, huh? Maybe. Are you <laughs> going to introduce yourself? This is Pacwa PJ. Yeah, send we're us. Ready for some. As our listeners can hear, aliens. I sound like an alien right now. Thanks to my husband and my son and my daughter. Everyone. <sighs> Finally got the bug in the house, and I feel like trash. My one eye won't stop running because I don't know why. It just won't stop, like, crying. And then the rest of me hurts. My throat is sore. I hate it. <laughs> and um, I sound like I'm sick. Yep. <laughs> um, so, but yes, I'm using this quote because I have a theme for tonight. But first, I have something very, very special for one of our listeners, specifically for Penny. This is about Pluto. Pluto is a planet. Anyway... <laughs> I just want to say, <clears throat> this is from homegrownhandgather.com. Congratulations to all the world. It will be early spring, according to a small ground rodent. Hooray. Nothing is spookier than people huddling in the cold on February 2nd to watch a ground rat living in his climate-controlled, light-regulated, man-made zoo, believing he hasn't died in 138 years because he drinks the elixir of life. So this is what I want to give to Punk's Tony Phil and to Penny. Are you ready? It's a recipe. <laughs> For braised groundhog tacos. Tacos. Mm-hmm. All right. One pound groundhog or just one groundhog. <laughs> one quart stock, vegetable, game, or mushroom will do. Corn tortillas, radishes, greens, salsa verde, and your favorite, cilantro or other fresh herbs. Ugh, salsa verde and cilantro. Delicious. Nope. I'm it out. It says other fresh herbs. Anyway, <laughs> heat your oil high in a Dutch oven. Toss in your delicious, delicious groundhog. Let him brown up on both sides. Toss in your stock. Make sure that you have it nice and deep so your meat is covered. Cook it for three to four hours. After that, remove the meat from the pot. Cut it apart, man. Chop, 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 chop. <laughs> Get rid of those bones. And then assemble your tacos. Put that meat on there. Mm-hmm. That's where Punxsutawney Phil should be. In my tummy. So there you go, Penny. If you like the recipe, I would love to email that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Since we know that I love Groundhog's Day so much. My mom cooked a groundhog once. Delicious. I don't care what y'all say. I'm from the country. She said it was gamey. Well, that's what you have to cook it in stock for like three to four hours, and that makes it soft. Mm. Also cover it in meat tenderizer. We have things for this nowadays. <laughs> anyway, 
Let's talk about something that may just be as much of a hoax as a stupid groundhog. Excellent. The Philadelphia Experiment. Oh, mm-hmm. we're doing this one, are we? I figured, why not? I'm feeling sick, so might as well get a little sicker. That, nope, that was really weird. Well, I mean, we were going to talk about some sick stuff. <laughs> sure, it depends if it's not, if it's real. Anyway. It's still sick. So my references tonight include military.com. HowStuffWorks.com, Wikipedia, of course, all that is interesting, and of course, History.Naval.Military. Gotta go with the uh, the OG there. So, do you know the legend of the Philadelphia Experiment? Bits and pieces. I've heard it twice now and okay. forgot it both times. Well, I'm, like I remember parts. I am here to blow your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Hopefully, my voice lasts. So imagine, if you will, it's around October 28th, 1943, and Philadelphia, born and raised. Oh, sorry. No, different story. <laughs> different story. As it sat in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in 1943, the newly commissioned destroyer USS Eldridge was being outfitted with several intriguing devices. These included top-secret generators that were said to be able to make the ship completely invisible to the enemy. According to legend, on October 28, 1943, the USS Eldridge, a cannon-class destroyer escort, was conducting top-secret experiments designed to win command of the oceans against the Axis powers, and there in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, it was time to test it out. Dun-dun-dun-dun. As the final generators were put into place, the crew readied themselves for the system test. There, in broad daylight on a clear summer's day in the middle of the shipyard, the generators were switched on and... It's really, it says, a clear summer's day in this legend, but it's October. That is not a clear summer's day (laughs) in Pennsylvania. Just saying. (laughs) Anyway, so there in the broad daylight on a clear fall day... In the middle of the shipyard, I guess it's a hoax now, because I can't even get their story right. Um, The generators were switched on, and a greenish-blue glow surrounded the ship. Before the crew's eyes, the ship disappeared entirely. Witnesses in the Norfolk Naval Shipyard in Virginia reported seeing the Eldridge appear in their waters before it disappeared just as rapidly. Hours later, it showed up back in Philadelphia. Crew members aboard the ship reported nausea, insanity, and burn marks. Others reported being entirely embedded within the metal structure of the ship, having fallen through floors or walls during the time it went missing. Some claimed to have rematerialized inside out. Or not at all. Yeah, that's those are the parts I remember, like the ship like reappeared and everyone boarded it and found just people in the walls. Makes me think of uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) Part of the ship, part of the crew. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yum. So that is the legend. How do you feel? I honestly want to believe it. I really do. It's so weird and creepy. George Carlin believes in UFOs, so I'm just saying. (laughs) He makes a compelling argument. (laughs) Um, So... I'm going to say the real in air quotes, or I have a question mark here in my script, the real story, because I want to believe it's real too, even though it definitely reeks and reeks and reeks of hoax. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't care. 
I could see this being real just because the government lies to us. Anyway, so how did this story come to be true? And could it be true? The story of the Philadelphia experiment originated in late 1955 when Carl M. Allen sent an anonymous package marked Happy Easter, containing a copy of Morris K. Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects to the U.S. Office of Naval Research. Confused as to why it's Happy okay. Easter. yeah. So yeah, 12 years, a dozen years after this is supposed to have happened, he sends this book to Naval Research and says, Happy Easter. Not, hey, check this out. Yeah. Oh, it's weird enough. But anyway, so the ONR or the Office of Naval Research, like they're going to pop up a lot in this. That's why I think it could be real. Just saying. Mm -hmm. So the book was filled with handwritten notes in its margins, written with three different shades of blue ink, appearing to detail a debate among three individuals, only one of whom is given a name, Jemmy. J-E-M-I, yeah. Maybe Jemmy, I don't know. They commented on Jessup's ideas about the propulsion for flying saucers, discussed alien races, and expressed concern that Jessup was too close to discovering their technology. Ooh. And why is it being sent to the Naval Research? <laughs> I have questions. Um. So, again, it's all coming from this guy. Now, don't forget his name. It's Carl M. Allen. That's his real name. Okay. It's important for later because of his very secretive pseudonym. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. So the three commenters, and again, they believe there are three people because three different colored blue inks all talking to each other in the margins. The commenters refer to each other as gypsies and discuss two different types of people living in outer space. Their text contained non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation and detailed a lengthy discussion of the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in the book. There were oblique references, too. The Philadelphia Experiment. So that's how this all comes into being. Okay. Because of this guy and his crazy cockamamie book. Yep. Well, not his book. The <laughs> cockamamie guy writing in the margins. So shortly thereafter, January 1956, Allen began sending a series of letters to Jessup using his given name as well as, here's his pseudonym, you ready? Carlos Miguel Alande. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's a really good pseudonym, if you ask me. Where'd they come up with that name? And he's Carl M. Allen. Cool. I wonder if the M actually stands for Michael. <laughs> I don't know. But so, yeah, so he starts talking directly to Jessup with all these letters a year later. He's not crazy. Anyway, the first letter um, that we know about warned Jessup not to investigate the levitation of unidentified flying objects. Allen put forward a story of dangerous science based on alleged unpublished theories by Albert Einstein. He further claimed a scientist named Franklin Reno put these theories into practice at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in October of 1943. So again, okay. yeah. And you think okay. this seems like it could be crazy, right? In some ways. But again, I've gone down the rabbit hole and my eye is twitching <laughs> and I'm sick. So I really, really, what's the, what's the word? When, like, you're receptive to ideas. I'm just going to say I'm receptive at this point. Yeah. Um, so he's messaging Jessup, stop doing this research because if you look into levitation, bad things are going to happen because of the science that was done by Albert Einstein 12, 12 this point, 13 years ago. Uh-huh. Okay. And Albert Einstein pops up later in the story. Okay. So it's kind of logical how it all goes together. Yeah. So, Allen claimed to have witnessed this experiment while serving aboard the SS Andrew Forenseth. 
I hope that's how it's pronounced. All right. In Alan's account, a destroyer escort was successfully made invisible, but the ship inexplicably teleported to Norfolk, Virginia for several minutes, and then it reappeared in the Philadelphia Yard. Of course, the ship's crew was supposed to have suffered various side effects, like we mentioned, insanity, intangibility, and being frozen in place, which is a polite way of saying being stuck to the walls or in the walls. Yep. When Jessup wrote back requesting more information to corroborate his story, Allen said his memory would have to be recovered and referred Jessup to what seems to be a non-existent Philadelphia newspaper article that Allen claimed covered the incident. So, okay. could he be a crazy person? Yes. But he said, my memory is gone because they took away my memory. It needs to be recovered. <laughs> Which pops up later, okay? So I'm not saying there's men oh in black, but there could be men in black. All right. But then he also says there's an article you got to read from a newspaper that no longer exists. So, or never, never existed or doesn't exist now thanks to the government. I don't know. See? My eye is twitching. Is, uh, that, is that a tinfoil hat I see? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> What's the point? They... I have a cell phone. They see everything. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say hi. All right. So then in 1957, Jessup was invited to the Office of Naval Research, where he was shown the annotated copy of his book. So Naval Research invites the original writer <laughs> to their place and says, here's your book with the comments on the sides. Again, I'm confused as to why they're inviting him. Moving on. Jessup noticed the handwriting of the annotations resemble the letters he received from Alan. Okay, I guess 12 years later, fun fact, Alan would say that he authored all of the annotations in order, in order to scare the hell out of Jessup. Uh-huh. Okay, so it turns out he did write all the different comments in different color blue to make it look like different people talking. So, not looking good for Carl or Carlos, however he wants to. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. But again, why is he invited to the Office of Naval Research yeah. then? All right, just saying. So two officers of the ONR, Captain Sidney Sherby and Commander George W. Hoover, took a personal interest in the matter. Hoover later explained that his duties as special projects officer required him to investigate many publications and that he ultimately found nothing of substance to the alleged invisibility experiment. Hoover discussed the annotations with Austin N. Stanton, president of Varro Manufacturing Corporation of Garland, Texas, during meetings about Varro's contract work for ONR. So you're supposed to let to believe by this uh, Commander Hoover that he didn't believe it. But he talked about it with Varro Marketing from Texas. And then this next thing happens. Stanton became so interested that Varro's office began producing mimeographed copies of Jessup's book with the annotations and Allen's letters, first a dozen and then eventually 127 copies. They became known as the Varro edition. Hmm. So why are they making copies of this? It's not just to be cutesy and have fun. I want to know why copies are being made. Is it actually legit? I'm just saying. And fun fact, mimeographs were the original, like, you know, copies if you will. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so besides noting the handwriting of the individual named Jemmy, just like saying Jemmy, <laughs> it's not Carl or Carlos, so it can't be him. I'm just saying he's too good at his pseudonyms to be Jemmy. So um, addressed as such by others by using that blue violet ink, the anonymous introduction to the Varro edition concludes that there were two other individuals making annotations. Mr. A, identified as Alan by Jessup in blue ink, and Mr. B, which is in blue green ink. Mm-hmm. So while Jessup initially said, I think it's all three, he only claims one of them was actually Alan later or at some point. Or the Varro edition says he said that. <laughs> See, you got to put the tinfoil hat on. I don't know. 
But why are they publishing 127 copies of a book that they say is not real? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, they also made a trillion dollar jet that didn't work. So... But that was science and they were trying. <laughs> this, why are they printing this? I know. That is definitely interesting. It Like, it catches your attention, for sure. They should have just tossed in the trash can. Instead, they're making copies. Yeah. So, in any case, after this, Jessup tries to publish more books on the subject of UFOs, but he was unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. He's just done. He lost his publisher, and he experienced a succession of downturns in his personal life, and he actually died by suicide in Florida on April 30th, 1959, so just a couple years later. Okay? UFO hunters and things like that, that's a common theme, is they get, like, sucked into this lifestyle, and everything else kind of falls by the wayside. Or is the, was the government making them turn that way? Ooh. It wasn't suicide. See, I got to go with the conspirators here. I don't know. I don't know, PJ. Put the tinfoil hat back on. All right. The men in black got him. That's right. Thank you. They, I guess the, the mind wiping did not work. So. so the various book writers who tried to get more information from Carl Allen found his responses elusive or they couldn't find him at all. Interesting. Right. One reporter from Allen's hometown of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, interviewed his family and was handed a pile of documents and books, all scribbled with Allen's annotations. They described Allen as a, quote, fantastic mind, but also a drifter and a, quote, master leg puller. Oh, okay. But again, they couldn't really find him to talk to him. Yeah. See, I don't know, I'm just saying, it could not be aliens. It could be the government here stopping us from knowing about the aliens. <laughs> How far are we going to go down this <laughs> rabbit hole? That's all I'm saying. <sighs> anyway. But he's from Pennsylvania. Fun fact. I noticed. Well, he's talking about the Philadelphia experiments. So. Yeah. Go Pennsylvania. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> so why this story? According to Edward Dungeon, who served in the U.S. Navy aboard the USS Engstrom, which was dry docked in the Philadelphia Naval Yard while the Eldridge was, too, both ships did have classified de devices on board. Okay. So Alan's not wrong there. Yes. So they did ha kind of have like cloaking devices, but not what Alan was describing. They were neither invisibility cloaks nor teleportation devices designed by aliens, but instead they scrambled the magnetic signatures of ships used using the degaussing technique, which provided protection from magnetic torpedoes aboard U-boats. Mm. Which we know was an issue because the Nazis were along our coastlines. Coastlines. There we go. That's the word. Coastlines. And um, they were trying to protect. Yeah. So they were cloaked, but not invisible. They were just invisible to, to radar. Yeah. <laughs> so then adding on to this, in 1994, French-born astrophysicist and ufologist Jacques F. Vallée published an article in the Journal of Scientific Exploration titled, quote, Anatomy of a Hoax, the Philadelphia Experiment 50 Years Later. In writing a previous article about the Philadelphia Experiment, Valet asked readers to contact him if they had further information about the alleged event. That's when Valet received a letter from Edward Dungeon, who served again in the U.S. Navy from 1942 to 1945. So he'd be a reliable witness because he was there. Yeah. Makes sense. So as he had said to Valet, he's like, I served on the USS Ingstrom. It was dry docked in Philadelphia Navy, Navy Yard during that summer. 
He said uh, that he was an electrician in the Navy, and he had full knowledge of the classified devices that were installed on both his ship and the Eldridge, which he said was there at the same time. So again, super valid as a person and as a witness because he's the electrician installing this stuff. Yeah. Far from being teleportation engines designed by Einstein or aliens, the devices enabled the ships to scramble their magnetic signature using a technique called degaussing. The ships were wrapped in large cables and zapped with high-voltage charges. A degauss ship wouldn't be invisible to radar, but would be undetectable by the U-boat's magnetic torpedoes. Mm-hmm. To get that specific. So they're seen on radar, but the magnetic torpedoes can't get them. Yeah. Oogie boogie boogie boogie. It's kind of crazy how that worked scientifically less than 100 years ago. Yeah. Anyway. This is really cool. The things that we think of. Albert Einstein, excellent job, and everyone else. So Dungeon was familiar with the wild rumors about the disappearing ships and mangled crewmen, but he credited the fabrications to lose stellar talk about invisibility to torpedoes and the peculiarity of the degaussing process. So he said, basically, people created this story because they heard sellers talking in port about, you know, like, oh, we got invisibility now. Oh, really? Your ship disappears? That's cool. <laughs> but, like... Here's where, like, me uh, as just a regular normal person with a decent intelligence says, I understand someone saying, okay, the ship got invisible. Why would they say it went somewhere else and came back? Yeah. And why Which is not invisible. It's something else. Yeah. That's teleportation. Yeah. Um, Or blipping, whatever you want to call it. But then also, why are they saying men were, like, literally halfway through the floor? You know, like, and their bodies were shoved into yeah. the floors of this or into the walls. They weren't insane. They disappeared. They never yeah. came back. What, how did that become a story? Yeah. And I get that you can, like, add and add and add to a story. But that's taking it to, like, a crazy extreme. And, like, I get telling, like, scary stories in urban legends. But that's, like, around a campfire. And you know that it's an urban legend. Like, this just seemed too specific to me for it to just be one of those creepy side stories. Mm. Especially considering, like, everyone knows about it and people were talking about it. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I just, I think it's fishy. I think, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I have no opinions one way or the other. I just want to promote both sides so you can make your own decisions. <laughs> so as for Eldridge's mysterious appearance in Norfolk and then sudden return to Philadelphia... Dungeon then explains that the Navy was using inland canals, which were off limits to the commercial vessels of the time period, to make the trip in six hours rather than two days. So could it have blipped to Norfolk and then come back in a day's time? If it left early enough and left late enough to get back, you know, it could be Mm. that 12 hour round trip. But why go down there, hang out in port and then head back up? And then leave again. It's crazy. So it was by use of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal and the Chesapeake Bay. Those were the places they're talking about. So again, six hours first. No one really knew about that. German submarines had ravaged shipping along the East Coast during the Operation Drumbeat. And so, again, they wanted to keep these canals secret so they wouldn't, you know, come more inland. Uh-huh. Which people don't realize, but like during Operation Drumbeat, we were like getting hit here on U.S. soil. But it wasn't like Europe. So we, yeah. we don't, they don't talk about that, but they were hitting us. In any case, well, we had Pearl Harbor, but, that, you know, <laughs> anyway. Um, so when uh, the German submarines had ravaged our, our um, East Coast, they decided to use these canals and keep it quiet to protect themselves mm-hmm. um, again. And that, w- that way they could secretly move and then avoid uh, threat as well. So is it a viable answer? I guess. Sure. Yeah, I guess. 
Um, I just I'm not convinced. No, because like, if you go back to the story, you know, it was in Philadelphia and then it was seen and it had blipped all the way over there and it comes back just a couple hours later. A couple hours is not 12 hours. That's yeah. half a day. Yeah. And that's if they get there and then just turn right back around and head right back up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to hit some kind of canal traffic. I don't know. This isn't, you know, Route 80, but I'm sure you're going to hit some <laughs> kind of traffic. So I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a little fishy myself. Do you have any comments on that? None of it adds up. Like, none of it makes sense at all. It reeks of a good hoax or a good cover-up. Yeah. And that's where the beautiful conspiracy blooms, I guess. Anyway, in another turn of events, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported in 1999 on a reunion of sailors who served on the USS Eldridge in Atlantic City. The sailors said the ship never docked in Philadelphia. Oh. And it's like, wait, hold up. Because <laughs> <laughs> Dungeon just said that you were there with him. Indeed, it was in Brooklyn on its supposed date of disappearance, is what they're saying. Okay. And the ship's log confirms this. Further, the captain said no experiments were ever conducted on the vessel. And so who is lying and where? What is happening? Yeah. Right? So I'm allowed to go, I don't want that was being like experimented on. So we have an official one. And it's up in Brooklyn. Yeah. Hanging out in Brooklyn. <laughs> but there's one in Philadelphia that an electrician is working on. And he says, yeah, we're using the degaussing technique. Mm -hmm. And we're parked by it. We're dry docked. We're by it. I see it. If it left, it went just down on the canal. But it came right back. I was mm -hmm. there with it. Who is telling the truth? Yeah. I need answers. So now how do you feel? See, I just keep thinking back to this past summer with Ocean Gate and how we were lied to for days okay, about... Um, what's Ocean Gate again? The sub that oh, yeah. imploded. So, tell more about that for listeners. So everyone knows that, you know, the Titan sub from ocean gate sub in air quotes yeah <laughs> tin, tin can they call it a sub uh you know it went down there they lost contact with it and four days later whatever it was they they found the wreckage and for all those four days they're like oh how much air do they have uh you know do they have food what what's going on down how there? long can they last we knew 15 minutes after it imploded that they were gone and then for those four days like, there was, they were just talking nonsense. Hoping. And, like, <laughs> and that's not a conspiracy theory, by no, the yeah. way. Like, we saw the the actual radar scans or, like, mm -hmm. sonar. Yeah, the, the scans. And um, with the timestamp and everything, like, 100% we knew the moment it imploded. And then the media just kept going for four days about Which it. Which is crazy. Yeah. I Googled it and, and they there's... they had reasons for that though, right? What were their reasons? No one knows for sure. It's all hearsay. Well, like, yeah, but usually hearsay has a grain of truth. Though. Because they're all like millionaires and things like that. So it's like they didn't want it to go public because who's going to take over the company and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like the succession. Yep. You know, they wanted to figure all that out before they announced that it imploded. So stocks would, wouldn't crash. And so that makes you think that this has to be real? I mean, assert, like, now that we have proof, you know, like, I, we yeah. always knew that the government lied to us, but like, yeah. that, this is proof that they lie. So, 
And I, I Googled it, and there's only one news station that ever reported on it, and that was CBS News. Really? They, they had an article saying that we picked up the the implosion immediately. So everyone else was following the Every, Everyone else, C, you know, CNN, lie, MSNBC, uh, yeah, Fox News, all of them, they're all just like, you know, what, what what's going on down there? How much longer can they last? So we should be watching CBS only. Are you saying they're the most reliable? No, they they just got lucky that time, I think. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> just checking. All right. Yeah, so, and, like, we know that they lied about aliens all this time, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, they're real. As we said in our previous episode, probably because COVID broke us, so they wanted to give us something else to focus on. <laughs> um, well, that, and when Trump visits Area 51, and then all of a sudden wants to make a space force. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How much more obvious can you be? Oh, there must be aliens. So I'm not saying that this stuff didn't happen. You know, like I, because you know how physics is. We know that Albert Einstein was a genius, and he, you know, he pops up here again in, in the story, like here and there. He was doing some amazing research. Could yeah. he have created teleportation? I don't know. Like I'm, a, I'm not a scientist. I'm just a little bit of a scientist. <laughs> I dabble in biology. <laughs> um, but I mean, I know there's more to the human eye than, and there's more to this Earth that than we know. Yeah. And so I think since being told that aliens are real, I have to kind of like... UFOs are real. Yes. I'm going to say aliens, but UFOs. <laughs> but now that we know that those are real, it's a slippery slope to going, okay, so then what else is real? Yeah. And my eye starts twitching. <laughs> and what else haven't we been told about, you know? Exactly. Because for 70 years now, we've been seeing these... Well, 70 years documented since Roswell. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we've been seeing these things in the sky, and the government's like, no... It's not real, you know. Well, if you look at hieroglyphics, you may have been seen aliens way back in the day, too. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I just... So now I'm like, maybe there were two of these. Because if the sailor said that we were on our boat, we were in Brooklyn, what boat was hanging out in Philadelphia? Because <laughs> someone else saw it. At least, I mean, one that's reliable, Dungeon, because he is an electrician for this for the whole shebang. Alan, if he's reliable or not, we don't know. Yep. Was he talking to another Alan? Were there two Alans? I don't know. Tinfoil hat time. Yep. Anyway, despite the differing accounts, both Dungeon and the Eldritch crew confirm that nothing otherworldly happened on the ship. So that's of the course. one thing that they can come come uh, to consensus on. Okay. Yet people continue to believe otherwise. Now, here are some reasons that this hoax has endured for 70 years, as you said. Um. So one thing that I want to mention is the green glow they talk about. Now, you worked at Mount Carmel with me for years. Did you ever read the eighth grade literature that we had to read? I don't think so. Did you ever read The Rime of the Ancient Mariner? Nope. Very Catholic. <laughs> Which is why it's not surprising that it's taught in a public school at Mount Carmel, because that place <laughs> is all Catholic. Um, every corner has a different Catholic church. But... In the Realm of the Ancient Mariner, it actually mentions St. Elmo's Fire. It's a passing reference, but all sailors know about this. So um, if you don't know what St. Elmo's Fire is, it is actually um, a kind of cool green glow electrical storm. So I'm just going to quote the text here. It says, it's also suggested that the green glow reported by witnesses that day could be explained by an electric storm on or St. Elmo's Fire, which, in addition to being an American coming-of-age film starring the Brat Pack, is a weather phenomenon in which plasma is created in a strong electric field, giving off a bright glow almost like fire. Hmm. 
And so it's really cool because, you know, it, it up and down the mass and the different ropes, you'll see this fire. It's not fire. You're not on fire. You're not going to die. Yeah. But it's creepy and it's very otherworldly, which is why it fits into the Rime of the Ancient Mariner so well, because it's actually a bad omen. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to have that. Um. So they say maybe the green glow is that. If that boat is green, why aren't the other ones green? Yeah. Riddle me this. PJ. Yeah, that was something I thought about because I, in other stories I heard, I heard about this green glow, like this mist that, yeah, surrounds the Eldridge, and everyone wondered what the heck that could be. You know, obviously it was uh, SpongeBob and the Flying Dutchman. That's it. Sixty years before the show came out, <laughs> <laughs> they did it before. It was cool. I wonder too, like, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I love SpongeBob, but I'm not like a obsessed with that. I wonder if they make him green and his boat glow green because of St. Elmo's fire. That would be a really smart reference. They probably didn't do that. No. We'll pretend they did. They're, they're like secretly smart. I mean, it's still smart that they had like bikini bottom, you know, the, bikini, oh, yeah. the bikini atoll and all that. So. And that references back to all the different things that were happening, you know, really around this time period and after because yeah. of all the different experiments. Yep. So, but in any case, so they're saying that. The hoax exists because St. Elmo's fire exists. So if you see the green glow, you don't know what it is. You're going to assume it's, you know, not, it's not natural versus it's supposed to be natural. It's yeah. a natural phenomenon. Do, 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 do. Thank you. Okay. But this great, crazy, hoaxy idea was so good that it became a movie. Did you know that? No. It was called the Philadelphia Experiment. What? <laughs> And it was released in a fantastic year, 1984. Huh. Now, of course, George Orwell's story was not written in 1984. But again, dystopian government. (laughs) We got a boat with the word Eldridge close to Eldridge. I'm I'm telling you what, it's all adding up. (laughs) I could honestly be a really good conspiracy theorist if I ever took this stuff really seriously. If I'm offending you, I'm sorry. Anyway, so again, so the movie comes out. After the release of this 1984 movie, a man comes forward. His name is Al Bielek. I think it's pronounced Bielek. It's B-I-E-L-E-K. All right, yeah. Okay. He came forward claiming to have personally taken part in the secret experiment, which he had been brainwashed to forget. Seeing the movie in 1988 brought back the repressed memories that came flooding back, apparently, all at once. Could it just be a crazy person? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting. And since apparently Dungeon was working on this ship that didn't wasn't actually there because it was in Brooklyn, I'm just saying, I kind of believe Al. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) With all this going on, maybe Al's the best person to listen to. All right. And then... In 1951, the U.S. transferred the ship, the US El- USS Eldritch, to Greece, where it was renamed the H.S. Lyon, and it was used in joint exercises between the two countries during the Cold War. It was eventually sold for scrap in the 1990s. Again, it was the 90s when all this stuff started coming to a head. If we can go back in my timeline, in 1994, that's when the French-born astrophysicist um, and ufologist Jacques Vallée started doing all of his you know, discussions and his writings and talking to everybody and kind of bringing all this back. Hmm. Yeah, because no one really believed Al in 88. But when 
this well-renowned scientist is like, well, let me look in on this. They're like, oh, let's just send this boat off for scrap now. (laughs) Bye-bye. See, I find that fishy. Yeah. Okay. I can make all of this as fishy as Such a young boat, too. Yeah. You know? And if it was used during World War II, wouldn't you want to keep that and have it, like, in some naval museum? Yeah. You know? We have so many that are, you know, living museums that you can board and stay on and things like that. Yeah. So it was sold for scraps, allegedly. We don't, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen if it's, I'm saying allegedly there. (laughs) But I think it's because no one can do experiments on it now. Yeah. That's what I think. Or. I had to hide the evidence. Are there two? Two? Remember, Dungeon Saw won while one was in Brooklyn. I don't know. Is your mind blown yet? Why is there more? Well, there's a comment I made earlier that is my last comment. Okay. So, just as a reminder, all right, for reasons that still remain unclear, the ONR decided to publish that 127 (laughs) copies of the annotated book. They were dubbed the Vero editions after their publisher, of course, like I mentioned. But why would they do that? Why take such a personal interest in something that's so obviously a hoax? Yeah. Something so bizarre and out there to copy it and make it like official navy uh text and i mentioned to you there's a whole page on this on history.navy.military like it's it's on there yeah actually my last big thing is going to be a quote from them so i i just want to say like i've done some research and this was just a couple websites i could go further down the rabbit hole (laughs) but I truly wonder, like, what actually happened. Mm. Because if we can make an atom bomb, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's just, that's amazing enough. Couldn't we make something blip or disappear? Aren't there, like, suits right now? We have um, cloaking devices for planes and whatnot. Kinda, yeah. And they're not perfect. But I'm just saying, could we have had a failed experiment? Yeah. Where men were in the walls of a... That'd be horrifying, by the way. We have successfully teleported an atom one meter. So. And a whole boat. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) So I I would like to hear the listeners' comments about this, too. Because I just find it... I, I feel like if... If a naval warship is going down a canal down to Norfolk, Virginia, someone's gonna have seen it. And so people wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, this was an experiment. They'd be like, no, dude, I saw the boat going down on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. I waved to the guy on top. Like, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I agree. A minute. A minute to win it now. Hmm. Anyway, so I have a last comment from ONR, the Office of Naval Research, just as a reminder. From the history.navy website I mentioned in our previous episode, it states, The Office of Naval Research, ONR, has stated that the use of force fields to make a ship and her crew invisible does not conform to known physical laws. ONR also claims that Dr. Albert Einstein's unified field theory was never completed. During 1943 and 1944, Einstein was a part-time consultant with the Navy's Bureau of Ordnance, undertaking theoretical research on explosives and explosions. There is no indication that Einstein was involved in research relevant to invisibility or 
to teleportation. But why bring it up then? Hmm. He was a part-time worker, and he was working on a unified field theory. And his work was never complete, maybe because the human loss. Interesting. Yeah, so because if you look at that, like, again, like, I'm an English teacher, so I'm really good at, like, you know, breaking down, like, deconstructing text. But, like, it's, you know, it says, O&R claims that Dr. Albert Einstein's unified field theory was never completed. And during the 43-44 time period, he was a part-time consultant with the Navy's Bureau of Ordnance undertaking theoretical research on explosives and explosions. So, of course, we know, working on all that fun stuff. But he was working on a unified field theory. Could he have created something and said, oh, we're not ready for this. We hurt people. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Let's send it off to Greece now so no one can see it. Anyway. The Philadelphia experiment has also been called Project Rainbow. This is coming off the okay. website. Yeah. A comprehensive search of the archives has failed to identify records of a Project Rainbow relating to teleportation or making a ship disappear. In the 1940s, the codename Rainbow was used to refer to the Rome-Berlin-Tokyo axis. The Rainbow plans were the war plans to defeat Italy, Germany, and Japan. Rainbow 5, the plan in effect on 7th December 1941, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, was the plan the U.S. used to fight the Axis powers. Okay, Hmm. but that must be a different Project Rainbow, because if the Philadelphia experiment was also called the Project Rainbow, it wouldn't be surprising if those documents disappeared. Yeah. Especially after a horrible uh, failed experiment where men are stuck in walls and in floors <laughs> and uh, just never reappeared. God knows where they actually are. And on December 7th, 1941, we I mean, technically speaking, we weren't even a part of the war yet. It wasn't until after Pearl Harbor yeah. that we actually joined the war officially. Mm-hmm. It's only because the president went and pretty much begged. They would have said yes anyway because, you know. Yeah. We were a little angry over Pearl Harbor. A little bit. A little. A smidge. So now what do you think? Maybe we should look into Project Rainbow. I think we should. Why was it called Project Rainbow? Yeah. So many questions. Because you go over the rainbow to a different place, right? Maybe that's why it was called that. The idea of like going to a different location for all the rainbow. I was thinking the weird green light too. Like the vis- the visible spectrum. Well, you see, you're a scientist. So you have to explain that to me. <laughs> I, I only dabble in science, PJ. I'm a dabbler. <laughs> So why would green be the most important? No, it wouldn't. It's just like, you know, the fact that they're, you know, it's one of the, co- you know, this boat is emitting a bright color, color yeah. you know, and all See, that. See, but like, I think of like, you know, the Irish and, oh, my lucky <laughs> charms. But like, may- maybe like that's a comment too over somewhere over there. When did that, when did um, Wizard of Oz come out? The 30s. So maybe it's coming from that song. Somewhere over the rainbow, going somewhere else. See, I could be a great conspiracy theorist. I just realized my life's calling. There it is. Too much. Too bad I'm getting a degree in ethics. Well, <laughs> I'm very good at arguing. And leadership. I feel like I should go on to some kind of like adult debate team because I feel like I could win. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, aliens are real. <laughs> listen, this is fake. I could go either way. So, I don't know. I don't know. But to talk about a great scientist, I want to talk about Isaac Asimov. Ah, right? yes. Because I got to go back to my English roots here, not my science roots. 
I love him because when I, when, I, when I teach about him, we read the short story hallucination. I talk about how he was the most prolific writer. And like he would just sit, he could type 90 words per minute on his old, you know, typewriter. <laughs> Cha-ching, that one. And um, he just pumped out so many short stories and so many novels. And if you've seen iRobot, you've seen Isaac Asimov. And um, he was always amazed and interested in, in the science fiction. Like, you know, what what are the possible, that extrapolation mm. idea. Um, but he once said, don't you believe in flying saucers? They asked me. Don't you believe in telepathy and ancient astronauts and the Bermuda Triangle and life after death? No, I reply. No, 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 and again, no. One person recently, goaded into desperation by the litany of unrelieved negation, burst out, don't you believe in anything? Yes, I said, I believe in evidence. I believe in observation, measurement, and reasoning, confirmed by independent observers. I'll believe anything, no matter how wild and ridiculous, if there is evidence for it. The wilder and more ridiculous something is, however, the firmer and more solid the evidence will have to be. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you're looking at this, initially it sounds like a hoax. But then when you start looking at the stories, they don't add up. Yeah. And to me, like, it, it, in that moment, it becomes more of an actual, like, possibility. Especially when you have the actual crew saying, we were in Brooklyn. Yeah. My brain then goes, then what the heck was in Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> or what disappeared and came back to Philadelphia? Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. Like, I think that if this were posited to him... He'd be asking the same questions. Yeah. And you want to go back and look at Einstein's, you know, unified field theory. How close to that was it was completed? Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't answer that because I am no Einstein. <laughs> but I just, I don't know. Yeah. So my question is. I would like to is, follow back on this. Have I made you a believer in the Philadelphia experiment, PJ? I mean, I already kind of was because of the weirdness of it and the reports from it and everything. The fact that the Navy has a page on it. Even though at the end of it, they deny that it ever happened. Yeah, right. So, yes. And then after all this, more so, I think. Because if that boat was fine, there was no reason to salt for scrap. No. No, there, not There really at all. wasn't. And, again, what boat was there then? Like, I, I was, I'm never for conspiracy theories. I always think they're just ridiculous. Yeah. But, How long was it in service? Do we know? So, you know, it was a part of World War II. And then in 1951, it was transferred to Greece and it was renamed the HS Lyon. And then it was used in exercises. And then it was sold for scraps in the 90s. In the 90s. Okay. So it was used in exercises. Okay. That's more reasonable. I guess. But again, you could keep it and put it on display because World War, anything World War II is like a hot ticket. And in the 90s is when everyone's saying, oh, my gosh, it's a hoax. This would be the best way to make some freaking money. (laughs) Like, I'll buy it for scrap and I'll put it in my back lawn. Come see the hoax. There's probably some faces in there. Watch out. Like, I would make money off of it. So why sell it for scrap? I mean, it's a lot of metal. Well, true. It's but a think battleship. Well, not many, battleship, but... but yeah, but think of how many years you could make money off of this having, you know, mm-hmm. people come to visit. That just the tourism and then being able to sell the franchising from it too and just the oh, merch. Yeah. Be way more than selling the hunk of metal. Yeah. I'm just saying. The government's not short sighted. They think about this. Oh kinds yeah, of for things. sure. Yeah. 
So now I'm a believer. I talked myself into believing it. <laughs> Great. I guess I can add conspiracy theorists to my... But, but the Jersey Devil still is not real. And my voice is finally going. So we have to stop. <laughs> it's cra- Maybe it's the Jersey Devil saying, I am real. I'm taking That's your voice it. away. Um, I do want to say, as we get closer to 15K in terms of our listeners, I have already bought stuff for the next giveaway. Oh, okay. Yes, I didn't tell you. Surprise! So it'll be here within two weeks. But I got um, a Plague Doctor incense burner, and the smoke comes out around him, and it's nice and creepy. And I got incense to go, and I got rosemary incense, because it's supposed to get rid of negativity. And I got a really cool sign, and I got a really cool bumper magnet to go along with our magnets, too. Got a lot of cool stuff coming in, ghosty and creepy and fun and quirky. So once it comes in, I'll take pictures, and we can start really promoting it. But y'all got to start, like, you know, making sure your friends are downloading and liking us. Hop on Spotify and give us a rating. Uh, I refuse to rate myself because I'd give myself a one. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rate us on I- on iTunes, please. Three is neutral, so that's cool. Um, I can tell how you feel about conspiracy theories based on what you're going to choose <laughs> if, if I offended you. Uh, but in any case, mind you all to have a lovely week. Stay healthy. Do not get the plague like PJ and I did and the children. Do not have your daughter vomiting onto your freshly mopped hallway floor. Yes. I'm going to keep saying that, PJ. Because, like, as a mom, I look back and I feel... At least you didn't clean it up. But I look back on this and I feel kind of bad. Because I'm like, why is Sophie on her hands and knees? And there she is puking on the floor in the hallway. (laughs) And I look at her and I look at my mom because my mom was visiting. And I go, but I just mopped that. Like, how much of a mom response is that to a kid who is vomiting? So eventually the plagues will leave us and from this house. But because my voice is obviously totally going now, have a lovely week. Find us on Reddit. Find us on Facebook. Please message us. Tim, it's been since July 20th. I was looking over memories. Get back over here. Tell us your UFO stories. Yeah. Jackie, obviously you're coming. Don't worry. We're bringing you in. But as always, think spooky thoughts.